0: What is up? You are listening to Refocus with Barbara and Christina, a weekly conversation that is catalyzing a movement for purpose-driven and intentional living. Today, we are beginning our Intentional Living series, where for the next six episodes, we're going to go in-depth on what it means to refocus in the five areas of wellness. Social, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. Now, we're aware that some people consider that there's more... Areas of wellness, some people think it's less, but in refocus, we're prioritizing these five. In this episode, particularly, we're going to go and introduce some of the ways that we practice intentionality, hopefully to put the idea of refocus living into context. Chris is going to give specific examples of her daily practices, and I will offer some insight on each dimension. So let's dive right in. Chris, you want to get us started with mental well-being? Sure.
1: Sure. For my mental well being, I am intentional on in the way that I value my peace and my energy. I see them as currency. So when I'm in a state of perpetual stress and exhaustion, it honestly feels like I'm in debt. And just as I am careful about where and on what I spend my money, you know, f- for the most part at least, I am wary of how and where I spend my energy. I try to be cautious about what I will allow to stress me out. Sometimes it seems that we permit people and situations to come and to steal our peace and our energy without any objection. If we can help it, we wouldn't sit idly by while our money is being stolen, especially if it's a limited amount. At least those of us who aren't filthy rich would play an active role in defending our money Because we understand that cash is necessary for survival. Well, so is energy and so is peace. We need both to survive and thrive. And yes, it's inevitable. We will have to spend our energy and sacrifice our peace at some point and for some causes. However, I try to be deliberate in deciding when it's worth it. Mm, That's
0: such an interesting point of view about about energy, and while we're talking about it, just to get sciencey for a quick second, it's law of conservation, right, of energy that says that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be converted. Now stay with me for one minute, I promise it will make sense. Why do I bring this up? Research has shown that the average person has about 60,000 thoughts a day. That is at least 2,000 thoughts an hour. How many of our thoughts are negative thoughts? And how many are positive? We have the ability to choose how we spend and waste our energy like you were saying, Chris. And intentionality helps us in this tremendously. Scientifically speaking, the power of our minds helps us convert negative thoughts into positive ones. Not get rid of them because negativity, negative energy is impossible to abolish completely from our mindsets. In the same way that energy can only be converted or destroyed. So I know this is a lot, but it gives us something to think about. First, that negativity will always exist around us and within us, but our ability to tap out of it mentally is a skill that requires practice. And second, thinking good is feeling good. I think we all know that. Our thoughts are vital to our mental health. They reflect the way in which perceive and understand reality, and therefore we must become aware of our inner world to fully understand the outer world. And that's one of the topics
1: that we touched upon just briefly in our last episode uh, about being inwardly focused as opposed to outwardly focused and always on the move. Now switching gears, I would say when it comes to my physical well-being, I'm intentional in focusing on my why. Why do I work out? Why do I want to eat healthier? One reason is perfectly summarized in this illustration that I heard once on one of the episodes by Nike's Trained. I forget the name of the exact episode, but in it, the interviewee contrasts lifespan and health span. Uh, I'm sure that a good portion of us want to live a long life, and I pray that we do, but, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're not yet aware, there is little that we can do to guarantee a long lifespan. Life as we know it (laughs) can end any minute now. That's the simple truth, and that's your daily dose of existentiality. However, we at least, uh, to some extent, can have control, a little bit of control, on our health span based on our habits around diet and exercise. And, of course, this is not new information. Whether we like it or not, most studies are conclusive and showing that if we have poor diet and exercise habits, we are at a higher risk of having health complications as we get older. With that being said, I personally want to give the 58 year old version of me her best shot at being healthy, which is (laughs) one of my whys. To be honest, I, I truly enjoy exercising. I find that it's one of my favorite ways to relieve stress, especially when I'm listening to some good tunes I I think it's it's just it's fun to me healthy eating on the other hand is a whole different story it does take a little bit more effort but I still try to be conscious of what I eat and sometimes that's all we can do try when it comes to eating and exercising and most other things in life for that matter it can be tiring and overwhelming to hold ourselves to a standard of perfection the best we can
0: do is to try with sincerity some of Chris and Ice's best memories in college definitely happened at the gym. Ooh. Definitely happened that fit rec fitness definitely center bonded. at Boston <laughs> University, guys. If you haven't been, just six we different floors. Or I don't even remember how many floors, but yeah, we love that place. We took it for granted, and we took it for, <laughs> granted. for sure. Honestly, now that we've graduated, man we didn't know the dream (laughs) but anyways i also enjoy that that podcast trained if you haven't ever listened to it check it out it's a really good really good podcast as well and like you were saying chris with figuring out what works and what doesn't for us in our physical well-being it's when it comes to healthy eating and fitness in general we have to give ourselves a permission to do the things we enjoy yes we want to be healthy Yes, we should and could exercise to combat deadly diseases and conditions in the long run, but we should also be comfortable in the pauses, in the moments of relaxation, where we simply appreciate from a distance. Most of us are in this conscious, unconscious state of tension and stress, maybe even anxiety, and in result, our bodies are always in fight or flight response. And over time, the effects are visible in our immune and respiratory systems. That being said, however, intentionality, when it comes to physical well-being for me, is developing a way of living that is kind and loving to myself. Developing a perspective where food and exercise are my allies, not my enemies. And if I mess up one week, I restart. And if I feel guilty for overeating or a lack of exercise in my mind... I forgive myself without judgment. That's so, so important. The reset button shouldn't release an atomic bomb within us, especially not one full of negativity. This makes us only retrogress. And food, food, food is a fuel our body needs to run. Sometimes we forget that. I feel like sometimes we just forget that. How we treat our bodies not only impacts how we look, but how we feel, not day by day, but minute by minute.
1: Exactly
0: exactly
1: although external encouragement from friends and family and our peers is important it's it's we we must always check within to see if we have that stable system that is motivating but yet supporting of course that's easier said than done but it can definitely be a goal to work towards we're now moving into the realm of emotional well-being and what i've noticed is that more often than not we take our emotions at face value. We stop just at the anger towards a friend who made a hurtful comment. We don't look beyond the annoyance that we feel when our parents are giving us the same speech over and over and over again. And we stop just short of wondering why we feel envy towards one of our peers. Perhaps we interpreted that comment from the friend as hurtful, but you know, in reality that's they, they had good intentions. We may not realize that our parents beat the same speech into our heads because they see themselves in us and want to keep us from making the same mistakes that they've made. And we feel envy towards that person because their achievements make us contend with the possibility that maybe we haven't achieved our own goals. My point is that questioning our emotions can not only reveal the insights on how we perceive the action of others but it can also give us a better understanding of ourselves and you know sometimes when you're in the heat of the moment when it's happening right in your face it's difficult if not impossible Mm -hmm. to analyze those emotions at that time i i've been there where it's just you're you're hot okay you're hot that's all you can focus on But it's similar to when you're in the shower and you're going over an argument with your head like, damn, I could have said this. I could have done this. I really would have could have told him like that. You know, it's the same when it comes to emotions. I I find it beneficial for me after the fact when I'm removed from that situation to go back and dissect why I felt a certain way to wonder if the entire situation would have been different if I had experienced a
0: different emotion. Just to rephrase a little bit everything that you mentioned is, this is just something that is so common in my opinion and in, in all around us. I see it in my family and my friends, the people that surround it and myself, the failure to comprehend and accept the power of our emotions. Our emotions have a meaning and it's a responsibility to give them the time they deserve to digest. You said it perfectly, Chris, mm-hmm. we... We've been thought this is true, particularly for men today that showing emotion is a sign of weakness. So we're afraid to even feel in the first place like this is far, far, so far from the truth. Our emotions allow us mm-hmm. to understand ourselves, our feelings, our desires. So it's vital to identify them, to then react to them and not solely respond. Um, for For example, How many of us as kids were told, Think before you speak? Perhaps even, Think before you act. I heard that a lot often, but. (laughs) (laughs) Or speak. I always spoke a lot in class. I was one of those kids. (laughs) <laughs> little revealing myself here of childhood trauma coming yeah that's <laughs> a trigger um but the, these phrases were taught to us to teach the importance of our actions and our words right and they grain they are grain in this head but how many times have we heard think before you react impulsivity is innate for the human being like you were saying chris we when you in that fight you get hot and what says mm. out of what comes out of my mouth i don't know it was your fault because you started the know. fight. I blacked out. I blacked, <laughs> no. out. I blacked out. It shouldn't be that way. We we're expected to respond quickly because we delay our responses because the person is expecting us to react that moment, or society is telling us, "You you do something, you gotta do it now," to any given situation. So, emotional intelligence is just as important as intellectual intelligence. I'll say that again. Oh, Let great. me say that again. Emotional intelligence. Hey. For the people (laughs) in the back. Emotional intelligence is just as important as intellectual intelligence. A high EQ allows us to control the use of our emotions to solve problems and understand relationships, to be proactive rather than react. And I really like your
1: point, Barbie, about how emotions are seen as a a sign of weakness. How because girls are emotional, they are are illogical and that you can't be emotional and illogical at the same time. Let me not, let me, let me not get to it. (laughs) Let (laughs) me get, exactly, exactly. Okay, guys, we have just two more left. Now we're going on to social well-being and social settings, whether it be casual conversations with a longtime friend or, you know, discussions with a new stranger. My goal is to always start from a place of empathy. I try to remind myself that the person on the other side of the conversation has felt joy hurt, rage, and guilt, just just as I have. It's easier to have this outlook on some days compared to others, but on the days that I do, it helps me give the person the benefit of the doubt, and I truly hope that they will do the same for me.
0: And this is so true all across the globe, the, the power of solidarity, which is really what you're saying, Chris, it goes a long way. And putting ourselves in the shoes of other people implies getting rid of our pride. Our ego, that's hard. That's not something that anybody can do. Truthfully, It's it's we have to tap into complete vulnerability to comprehend. First, to even begin to decide to understand what a person might be going through. It's humanitarian.
1: And honestly, though, that person on the other side of the conversation doesn't deserve that courtesy. They may simply just be a rude or condescending person. But... Nevertheless, I've personally found that when I do start from empathy, I can better recognize the assumptions that I'm making about that person. This brings me to a different point, a very important point. We all make assumptions, and we all have biases, implicit and explicit. And no, you're not the special person who is immune. You too, I'm talking to you. Now, some use those biases to justify reprimandable Actions, just look around and you'll definitely find evidence of this, but in general, all of our brains try to be efficient by putting things and people into these categories called schemas. Unfortunately, the brain doesn't always get it right. The process of categorization, among other things, is a factor that leads to stereotypes and racist perspectives. That is why it's it's so important that we examine these biases and assumptions so that we can understand how they seep
0: into our social interactions. Uh, the danger of, of placing individuals into categories, you know, results in, in just pure judgment from our end and, and prevents us from being open to the possibility, even the smallest one, you know, I've, I've totally been a victim of this, that we could have judged incorrectly or too soon, and we become ignorant, not only stereotypical. You know, The worst part of a social interaction for me, it might be it's I meet someone and I get to know them, only to become aware of where they should be placed and classified in my mind, in my life. And I do this sometimes unconsciously. We do it unconsciously. Perhaps I want to figure out from the get-go whether this person has anything in common with me or doesn't, or who are they, where they come from, et cetera. I think it's
1: appropriate that we pivot just a little here to tangentially address some of the current events at the forefront of our minds and what probably came to your head when I mentioned biases and racist views. Mm. I was listening to an interview with Dr. Anita Phillips. I just discovered her. I love her and I want to, I want to be, <laughs> I, I'm going to be her. In this interview, she was touching on the current chaos and disruptions around the Black Lives Matter movement and the racism that has run rampant, and America. And of course, it's not only a U.S. problem. One admonition that she gave that has truly stuck with me is to question when a stat or a video or a tweet confirms what you feel about an entire group of people. And this is beyond just race. The group can be of people who like dogs or a certain type of music. The category itself is irrelevant. Being a member of a group can hint at someone's opinions on a particular issue, but it usually does not define that person's entire identity. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, there should be some alarm if you come across someone from a few particular groups, you know, white supremacists, KKK, Nazis. Use, Use your best judgment. The point that I am making is, and to tie it back to empathy, is that every single person is unique and needs to be treated as such. This consideration alone has the ability to
0: shape all of your social interactions and
1: overall social well-being.
0: There's a there's a documentary on Netflix called The Grey Hack that brings up to my mind that talks about everything you just spoke about, Chris, about these ignorances and stereotypes and how social media plays a role in our creation of them and it's pretty darn scary wow. it's so scary because you you see how somebody's profile gets attached into this network of social human beings in virtual space and then how everything i'm every time i open my phone i'm seeing things that i am meant to be seeing controlled by somebody else so mm-hmm. It, it's like mm-hmm. the the news that I read that I think I'm choosing is really already being chosen for me. Mm-mm. And I said, I, I have no freedom anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, no, it's, it's very scary. If you haven't checked it out, gr- it's called the great Hack. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It It's terrifying. And I love that you brought that up because I see it all the time. Social media controls the narrative. That's why it's important. And this is something we mentioned in the last episode too. So please check it out. It's important that we do our own research. Okay? Don't read a headline and then make a decision. And that's it. That, that's that's right. Let me calm down. Let <laughs> me calm down. Let me calm down. Hot of the moment. It's hard. Like we
0: were talking
1: about
0: it's hard. I'm going to
1: reevaluate. I'm going to reevaluate my emotion later. Later, guys, in the shower. Um, okay, let's switch over now. Lastly, to spiritual well-being. Full disclosure, I was raised Christian, and I've oscillated between being absolutely devoted and being barely Christian. However, I always end up coming back to God, and obviously, yes, I wholeheartedly believe in god i've experienced him it them whatever i've experienced god through the beauty of nature through the love that i felt in friendships and relationships and through events and encounters that just they just can't be coincidental i know that to some that may sound foo-foo uh, that may sound loony and honestly that's okay i, I don't have a problem with that I am not trying to convince anyone that there is a God, nor is that something that I think someone can be convinced of. It's just something you have to want to experience. However, the struggle for me and the struggle that I've been mulling over for the better half of the last decade is comparing the way that I perceive God to the way that others experience God. Mm. I'm positive that if I was born in a different family, If I lived and grew up in a different country, then it would be very possible that I would call God by a different name. And I could go on, guys, I'm serious. I could go on tangents and tangents on this topic, but I will stop here before I say anything blasphemous for my more devoted followers of Christ. Side note, if anyone is interested in discussions about God in religion, we're always 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 down to chat offline but there's a podcast called the liturgist that explores some provocative questions on the issue i'll end this tangent with this i am intentional in my spirituality because i address it point blank period i don't just push it to the side Mm -hmm. some days some Mm -hmm. days i do some days i do i'm not gonna lie but mostly for the most part I push myself to consistently battle with the concept of God and the concept of purpose. I would say, in the end, regardless of what you do or don't believe in, to be intentional in your spirituality is to never stop looking for the truth. Refrain from becoming complacent or pushing to the side life's harder questions. Face those complexities wrestle with them and aim for a better understanding of the ways of the world
0: (laughs) mic drop oh my gosh (laughs) there's nothing podcast is over (laughs) i really felt that was that was no that was just amazing (laughs) that that's a really really way good way of thinking and it's critical to mention that when speaking of spiritual well-being it might not necessarily refer to a specific religion especially here at Refocus, that God, gods or a divine being is not the sole source that entices a person to care about their self-development and intentionality. For some of us, faith could provide the foundation and backbone of our identities the same way Christianity did for you, Chris, it did for me. In the full story, we will go in depth later. Chris and I actually met in Bible study the first week of college. That is actually how we met. So <laughs> brought together pain. by Christ is comes false short. <laughs> Falls short. But <laughs> well, yeah, deep. We will go into that later on that. But uh, anyways, choosing to live intentionally is not a new concept. It's simply understood differently for various peoples, and that's very important that we mention is that athletes might call it getting in the zone. You know, that might be their way of tapping into their intentionality purpose-driven lives our artists may call it creativity or being spontaneous mindfulness or contemplation and in the context spirituality it would be equivalent to maybe praying this is just our opinions it's a way to connect with ourselves and, and with the greatness of the world if we so would call it that way And we have come to the episode, the near the end, where we, yes, you guessed it, refocus recap, what you've been waiting (laughs) for. (laughs) On that note, we're going to jump right on it. If you have gained nothing from this conversation, if this is your first refocus recap, congratulations, you've made it. You've made it to the end of the episode. (laughs) Throughout this week, we want you to remember three things. If you have learned nothing from this conversation. Number one, a refocused lifestyle is one where you make mindful decisions, aligning your desires with your actions. That is mentally, physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. Number two, mindful practices in the different areas of wellness that we spoke about today could be done by incorporating small additions to our lives. For instance, it could be taking daily pauses from the hectic lives we live in by walking slower, Parking the car consciously, washing the dishes, and appreciating what we're doing while we're doing it. Really, is that simple. Even if it's small tasks, they have the potential of being meaningful. Mindfulness, it does not only occur at a yoga mat or a quiet space. For some, dancing, singing, writing can lead to inner silence. So, find what works for you. Number three, lastly, shifting our energy to a more refocused living takes time. It takes effort and, of course, patience. The key is to start now, to come up with a plan, start exploring and experimenting now, not later, not tomorrow. Because tomorrow, tomorrow, well, procrastination, leaving things for later, that's never a guarantee. Mm -hmm. And
1: we want to be there every step of the way. We want to use our platform, to use this platform to push each other forward. And with that being said, join our global community by finding us on social media and connecting with us. Again, our handles are Refocus the podcast, and our website is wefocusthepodcast.com We thank you so much for listening to today's conversation and for being part of this movement to create more purposely driven and intentional lives around the globe. New episodes every Monday. Until next week.
0: grabando, vete